0: I'm going to read in just a minute from uh, Psalm 47. Psalm 47. This is a uh, psalm that teaches us about God, that He is a conqueror and a gatherer. So, Psalm 47. Let's hear God's Word. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king. Sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Let's take a moment to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word for Psalm 47. We thank you for speaking to us in it. And we pray that now, Father, as we consider it, you would continue to speak, that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we may know more of Jesus Christ, your Son, the conqueror and the gatherer, and that knowing more of him, we would be brought near to you, humbled before you, filled with joy to enter your presence and worship you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am here to talk to you about Jesus Christ, and about Psalm 47, but I want to begin by saying something about basketball. I like to play basketball, I'm not very good at it, but I play uh, pickup basketball with some other guys at the seminary, uh, and you know, when you, when you play a game of pickup basketball and you win, it's very exciting, and it starts to, starts to look like the start of this psalm. This uh, there's some clapping, there's some shouting, there's, there's not usually songs of joy, but there's some exuberance. When, when the other team wins, you don't really clap and shout. You, you shake hands and, and you're polite. We're, we're very polite, uh, Westminster Seminary Student Basketball players, but uh, you, don't, you don't clap and shout. And, of course, these are, these are very low-stakes games that I'm talking about. If a sports event is higher stakes, bigger deal kind of thing, when you win, there's, there's more clapping and shouting, and when you lose, there's despondency. The one thing that you definitely don't do after a high-stakes sports game, when the other team wins, is clap and shout and rejoice. But that is what this psalm is telling the nations to do. God's team has won. Israel's team has won. And this psalm is telling the nations, including the defeated nations, to clap and shout for joy. Why should they do that? That's a big ask. That's a lot to ask. But it is a big ask that comes with a big offer. And the offer is, you can join the winning side. You can join the winning side. You can come to God and be part of his team. And it is good to be part of his team, not just because God is powerful, but because God is love. Because he is love. And he showed his love most clearly in his key victory. A victory that came later than Psalm 47. He showed his love most clearly in his victory over death, which he won through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a conqueror. And he is also a gatherer who is gathering strangers, foreigners, who is gathering to the nations, to himself, And that's what I want us to, to take away, to focus on as we think about this psalm. That Jesus Christ has conquered death and is gathering strangers to himself. We can, we can divide this psalm into two halves that correspond to those ideas. So verses 1 through 5 talk about how God is a conqueror. And verses 6 through 9, how he is a gatherer. So let's look at it. Let's begin with the superscription, the title with which the psalm begins. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. The only thing I want to say about that is the sons of Korah are Israelites. This is an Israelite song. And so we have to wonder when we get into verse one, why we are talking to the nations. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And this God we're talking about is verse 2, the Lord. That's Jehovah, that's Yahweh. That's not that's not the gods of the nations. That's not Baal. That's the God of Israel. So why should the nations clap their hands and shout and celebrate for the God of Israel? Well, the psalm gives us three reasons. First, because of who he is. Verse 2, "For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. The Lord is to be feared. I think most of us don't really go to that as the first thing we want to tell our neighbors about God. You know, the God, the God that I worship is a God to be feared. But the Bible talks about that all the time. The fear of the Lord. It's so important. Let me, uh, let me put it this way. I want to say God is something like A waterfall. So I grew up in, in western North Carolina, up in the mountains. And in the mountains there, it's the most beautiful part of the country. In the mountains there, we have these, these beautiful waterfalls. If you go out in the woods, you can go on a hike. You go up to a waterfall. Uh, if you brought your, your swim gear, you can get in the water. And you can, some of these waterfalls, you can swim right up underneath it and feel the power of all this water crashing down over your head. Here's what you can't do. You cannot approach the waterfall from above and wade out to the brim and look down at that waterfall from above. Why not? Because people routinely die doing that. So if you're a local, that is not how you approach the waterfall. You have to approach it from below. And the Lord is something like that. He is beautiful. He is majestic. And he is to be feared. You cannot approach that beauty and power from above with an attitude of pride and arrogance. You can only approach it from below in humility and lowliness and awe. So that's the first reason that the nations should praise this God, because he is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. The second reason, it says, is he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. Remember who we're talking about. He subdued nations under Israel. He subdued peoples under Israel and nations under the feet of Israel. In the context of this psalm may be celebrating the defeat of nations like the Philistines under David, uh, which, which happened soon after he took Jerusalem as his capital city. Uh, the Philistines for years and years, oppressed the people of Israel. Remember Goliath, right, challenging the people of Israel to battle, uh, telling David, "I'll, I'll give your flesh to the birds to eat. This is the Philistines. This is what the Lord has saved his people from. So the first reason to praise this Lord is because of who he is. The second is because of the evil that he has saved his people from. Nations like the Philistines, villains like Goliath. And the third reason to praise him is because of the good That he has saved his people for. Verse 4, it says, He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. The heritage there, the pride of Jacob, refers to the promised land, the land of Canaan, a land flowing, it says, with milk and honey, a land to be proud of. This is the good that he has saved his people for. And he did it because he loves them. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Jacob, of course, being the ancestor of the nation of Israel. He loves Jacob. He loves the descendants of Jacob. Now, you might be wondering, is this God prejudiced? Do I approve of this God? It seems like he he picks one nation... And he just loves them. And these other nations, he crushes them. He intimidates them. To them, he's a God to be feared. He puts them under the feet of the nation of Jacob. Is this God prejudiced? Is this the kind of God that I want to draw near to? If this is the question on your mind, I want to to humbly say, that we need to take off the rose-colored glasses with which we sometimes view the world. And I know we take them off sometime. I think when we look back at uh, the United States and slavery in the United States before the Civil War, we take off the rose-colored glasses. We admit there is real wickedness out there. There are people who need to be subdued. I think when we we think about Nazi Germany, and uh, the, the wickedness that was committed there. We say there is real evil in the world. There are things that need to be stopped. Uh, maybe if you think about uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine, you take off the rose-colored glasses, you say, yes, there is real wickedness out there. There are people and nations that need to be subdued. But right now, we need to take off the rose-colored glasses and look at ourselves. And as we look at ourselves, let's listen to the verdict of God when he says in the scriptures, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are the ones who deserve to be subdued. The real wonder is that this God who is just, this God who puts an end to evil, would choose any nation and shower his mercy on them. Even if he didn't choose my nation. Even if he didn't choose me. He didn't choose my nation, America. Well, you might say, well, well Nate, of course he didn't choose America. America wasn't around back then. Israel wasn't around when he chose them either. When he chose Israel, it was one man, Abraham, and he said, I will make a nation out of you. He did not choose them because they deserved it. He chose them as an occasion for the overflow of his amazing love. There's more good news for the nations than that. There's good news in this psalm for people who do not descend from Jacob, but we'll we'll get more to that later. Because this God has this overflowing love, this amazing power, because he's to be feared, this section ends on a note that is not about the nation of Israel, but that is about their God. Verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. This is his triumph. It's, um, <clears throat> these, these words uh, that we read here, that he's gone up with a shout, with the sound of a trumpet, uh, resemble in 2 Samuel 7 the description of the ark of of the covenant being brought up to the city of Jerusalem. It says the same thing, that it it's, uh, goes up with a shout and with the sound of a shofar, a ram's horn, which is actually the same word that's used here. So this psalm may be reflecting on that moment when David brought up the Ark of the Covenant at last into the capital city, into Jerusalem. All right, this is how God handles the enemies of his people. When their enemies are people like the Philistines people like Goliath who come with a sword and a spear what does this god do when the enemy of his people is death itself death is not an enemy that can be defeated in battle like the Philistines what does god do when he has set his love on his people and his love is so strong. His love means so much that it means that his people must live forever. When the enemy of God's people is death, God goes to war against death. And how do you defeat death? Well, the Bible says the sting of death is sin. Sin is what makes death as bad as it is. Sin is what makes death permanent. And so, to overcome death, God removed the sting. He defeated sin. But how? By sending the great warrior, by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to become a man, to become one of us, to become like us in our suffering, to live a life without sin, the life that none of us lived. Because we're all sinners and we've all earned that sting, the sting of death. But he lived a life without sin. He deserved no death, and yet he went to the cross. He went to death for us. He took the sting for us, died on the cross, died bearing all of the guilt of his people's sin, went down into the grave, and thereby conquered death conquered the great enemy in a victory much greater than any of the victories that David had over the Philistines and the other enemies of Israel. He won the victory over death, over the devil, over sin. And as the victor, he rose again from the grave. Now, I don't think that you're probably very skeptical people because you're at an evening service of an OP church. But I'm not going to assume that this is always easy for you to believe. Because I know that you talk to a lot of skeptical people and I know that skepticism wars even against our own heart. So, did Jesus really conquer death? Did he really rise again from the dead? Let me give you just a few things to think about. If this doubt is in your heart, First, and above all, I would say, return to the Scriptures, which are the Word of God. God backs up His Scriptures with the power of His Spirit to give us the clarity of the truth that we may know Him and that we may know the truth about Jesus Christ, that He has risen from the grave. Second, I would say, sort of by way of an aside, I would ask how likely it is that a crucifixion without a resurrection would spark a movement on the scale of Christianity. And third, I would say, continue to look around you. Look around you at the other people in this church and ask yourself the question, are these people slaves to sin? Because people in the world are slaves to sin. People outside of Christ are slaves to sin. Are these people slaves to sin? this is risky, because I know we still sin. I know people in this church still sin. I know Felipe, right? We go to school together. But here's the question. It's not, do they sin? It's are these people slaves to sin? Or have they been set free? And if they've been set free from sin, the sting of death has been removed. And if the sting of death has been removed, it is Jesus Christ who has done it. And he has risen from the grave. All right. That's Christ the Conqueror. Let's look at the second half of this psalm. Jesus Christ the Gatherer. Verse 6, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Okay, here's the same call, call to worship with which we began the first half of the song, although it's moved from clapping and shouting to song. And again, the question is, why should we praise? And again, the answer is the same. Verse 7, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Same answer, because of his greatness, because he's the king. Although the worship has become singing with a psalm. It's like the nations, all those enemy nations, they're learning the psalms of Israel. They're learning to worship like Israelites. If the first half of the psalm was about God's war, the second half is about God's peace. God reigns over the nations, verse 8. God sits on his holy throne. God is no longer coming up Mount Zion in victory. Now he's sitting in victory, reigning over the nations. And what does he do in the time of peace? In this time of peace, he gathers those nations to himself. He gathers the foreigners. He gathers the strangers. He even gathers the enemies to himself. Verse 9: the princes of the people gathers, the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. The Philistines, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites. Israel's neighbors are coming and becoming the people of the God of Abraham. That verse finishes, For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Probably that word shields there is a reference to those same princes of the peoples mentioned before. You can look at another psalm of the sons of Korah, Psalm 84 where it refers to the king of Israel as our shield. Behold our shield, O God, look upon the face of your anointed. So probably here, the shields of the earth belong to God means the princes of the earth belong to God. All those rulers out there, if God wants to, he can bring them in and humble them at his feet. He is highly exalted, not just in conquering, as we saw back in verse 5, where it says the Lord has gone up with a shout, after his victory. He's highly exalted, not just in conquering, but in gathering people to himself. Now, this can describe some of the things that happened after David's victories over the Philistines. Uh, There were other nations who came and brought tribute to the nation of Israel. There were certainly foreigners who came and attached themselves to David, joined his army, served under him. There are plenty of foreign names, if you read about David's officers. But not nearly, is not not fulfilled as nearly fully under David as it is being fulfilled under the reign of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is not only the ultimate conqueror, the ultimate victor over death, but he is also the ultimate gatherer. And the process of beginning gathering strangers to himself began even on the cross, even as he was on the cross. In the Gospel of John, he says, when I am lifted up, I, when I am lifted up on the cross, when I'm lifted up, I will gather all peoples to myself. And after his resurrection, he continued that gathering process by sending out his apostles, saying to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And to equip those apostles and to equip his church to gather the nations, after he ascended on high, somewhat like that ark ascended up Mount Zion to its resting place there. After he ascended to the true Mount Zion, he ascended to heaven. From there, he sent his spirit to equip his church. You can read about this in Ephesians 4, where it says, After he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers to equip his church for the ministry. So we actually get to be part of that gathering process. We don't just wait around for the peoples to come to God, but we actually get to go out and, and give them the good news. God is welcoming strangers to himself. He is gathering the nations at his throne to become the people of the God of Abraham. I want to give, uh, I want to say two things about that gathering process, the process of ga- gathering the nations to God. First, that it is cruciform, and second, that it is triumphant. The process of gathering the nations is cruciform and triumphant. Cruciform, it's a fancy word for cross-shaped, cross-shaped. I, uh, I remember looking at a, a seminary webpage, I don't remember which seminary it was, uh, but the, there's a seminary webpage and the, the, like, the main kind of picture there on the page was this picture of a, a nice desk with a, a slick new tablet on it with some Bible app open and, and some nice earbuds and a, a steaming cup of hot coffee. It's like, oh yeah, that is what it means to study in seminary. That looks comfortable. That looks good. But that's not the best picture of the ministry of gathering the nations to God. It's not the best picture of the Christian life. Here's another picture that Christ gives us of the Christian life and the gospel ministry a man carrying his cross. Here's what we get to do we get to follow Jesus, we get to take up our cross and follow him, and fix our eyes on heaven. Following our crucified Savior, we fix our eyes on heaven where he sits enthroned, where he sits in glory. We live a life like his, which was a life of suffering. And we actually, we actually invite people, we call them to come to God, and we say, come and join us in a life like his. Come and suffer with your eyes fixed on the glory that lies ahead. What we have to offer doesn't look like much to the world. And this is a very nice sanctuary, admittedly. It looks much newer than Calvary Sanctuary. But, but we don't say, come and, and live a fancy life with us. Come and live, live a life that's obviously blessed in the, the world's eyes. We say, come and suffer, but look ahead to where he is, enthroned, highly exalted. Because he is highly exalted, this process of gathering the nations is not only cruciform, but also triumphant because we know that he has the victory and he shares his victory with us and he has poured out his spirit who burns in us like an unquenchable fire he will gather those people to himself but before we go and gather let's ask have I been gathered let's come near ourselves let's draw near to the victor Let's draw near to the conqueror. Let's clap our hands and shout. Let's sing praises to him ourselves because he is the one who, because he loves us, laid down his life to conquer our great enemy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you because of Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that he has done for us. And we pray now that as we have been thinking about his victory and as we've been thinking about what he's doing now from heaven, that your words would rest in our hearts and would fill us with gratitude, would fill us with peace. That as we move from this, the day of Jesus Christ, into a work week ahead, uh, that we would remember that our King has conquered all of our enemies. And so we have nothing to fear. And not only that, but he has invited us so we can draw near to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.